or sorry, Luke. Luke wrote it. Uh, going through the book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter nine. Uh, there is there's a lot in this chapter. I dealt with the first part of it last week. I want to deal with the, the the middle part of it this week, but I want to wrap up the last part of it as well. And so let me just wrap up the last part. Just a couple three things I want to draw your attention to because I'm not going to have time to really teach through it, but they're important. Uh, and starting in verse 32, the spotlight shifts from Saul, who will become Paul, to Peter. And the Apostle Paul just drops off the, the pages until chapter 13. But in, in chapter 32, it, it's, it's the, the highlights back on the Apostle Peter. And it says that he was traveling about the country. He found a guy named Aeneas who was paralyzed for eight years. Uh, and Peter found this guy, and he just walks up to him, apparently, and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take your mat and walk. And immediately, Aeneas got up, and everybody started believing the Lord. And so we have this picture of Peter walking through the countryside, and he meets a guy who's been paralyzed eight years, and he doesn't know what to do. Have you ever been there? You just all of a sudden, you're in a situation, well, I don't know what to do right now. And so what does Peter do? He did exactly what he saw Jesus do to the paralytic at the pool. He said, you're better. Get up your mat and walk. And so there's a lesson in this for us. When we don't know what to do, do what we saw Jesus do. That's it. That's it. I don't know what to do. What did Jesus do? Well, I'm going to do that. And he, the exact same thing happens in verse 36. In Joppa, there's a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. I'd go by Tabitha as well who was always doing good, helping the poor, she got sick and died. The disciples in Joppa heard that Peter was near, and so they went and got him and said, please come at once. The Bible says in verse 39, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he took him to the upstairs room. She, her body had been prepared for burial. She just lay in there. Peter sent everybody out of the room, verse 40, got down on his knees and prayed. Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Again, in a situation, he has no idea what to do. The interesting thing is the Bible says that the disciples knew Peter was around, so they went and got him. They didn't ask him to do anything. Maybe they weren't there just to kind of preside over the burial or just some pastoral advice or counsel the grieving or whatever. He sees this lady laying in an upper room dead, and what's he think? Well, I was with Jesus in an upper room with a dead little girl, and he told that girl, Talitha, get up and walk. And he says to her, Tabitha, get up. It's almost the exact same words. Because I don't know what to do. I'll just do what Jesus did. He uses almost the exact same verbiage. It's a lesson for us. You know what to do? Do what Jesus done. And then the third thing that really struck me about this, the very last verse, verse 43, it, it doesn't say like, why is that even there? Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Why is that important? Well, thanks for asking, I'll tell you. Uh, it's important because Peter was a man of the book. Like he, this is what the law says, this is what the, Bible, the scriptures say, this is how I'm going to live. Well, tanners were considered unclean people because they dealt with dead bodies all the time and blood. And so the law that Peter grew up under said, don't associate with them, don't spend time with them, don't talk to them, don't be near them. And now he's staying with a guy. Here's what's happening. He's starting to understand grace. He's starting to understand that this kingdom that I'm a part of is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of his grace. 
And this sets up all of chapter 10, what God's going to do in Peter's life, moving him from the religious adherence of a law to the heart of the Father of grace. This is significant that he's staying with the tanner, unbothered by what the religious people might say. So I, I just want to give you some knowledge as you hopefully read chapter 10 this next week. Read it with some knowledge as to what's going on. Now, back to earlier in chapter 9. Um, and I, I want to end, I want to begin with where we kind of ended last week. But the, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, he's talking about Saul, who's blind. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. That, that seems really, really odd right there because those two things don't usually go together, being chosen and suffering. Usually we think suffering is we suffer because of our consequ- the consequences of our actions, right? So we suffer. Usually we think of suffering as you, we've done something wrong, so we suffer. Usually we think of suffering as there's punishment because of something that, 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 that we did that was wrong. It, suffering is not usually a sign of being chosen by God, right? At least according to our theology. Our theology says that if I'm chosen by God, I'm, 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 I'm blessed and highly favored, right? Um, suffering is, you don't usually equate being chosen by the hand of God to suffer. And, and I wonder how many of us would want to be chosen by God if it meant a lifetime of suffering. Right? Like, that's not the theology we signed up with. And, and, and so he's chosen to suffer. Just let that sink in a little bit about your theology about God. Theology about his kingdom. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus that once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Uh, And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I want you to note something that Saul on the road to Damascus has an encounter with the risen Lord, understands who Jesus is now, gets baptized, and immediately starts talking about Jesus that he just met. There's no delay. There's no hesitation. There's no fear. There's no trepidation. Only boldness in my talking about Jesus now. There's a lesson in that for us. There's a lesson in that for us. Paul said, I've had such an encounter with this Jesus, I can't help but run my mouth about him. There's a lesson in that for us. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him, and Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Let me tell you what's happening here. This idea of lowering him in a basket... Baskets were oftentimes lowered from city walls because that's how they got rid of their trash. They had these big trash baskets and they would fill up with all this garbage and lower it down the city wall and drop it on the ground and then whoever was going to take care of it came and take care of it. So otherwise, it would be really, really odd to see a basket being lowered from a city wall. But this was usually done at night. It's no big deal. It's just a bunch of trash being delivered. So so this is the basket that Paul's in. He's in a basket of trash. 
Understand what his life in Jesus is like now. He's blinded. He's not to the ground. He goes three days without eating and drinking anything. He's healed. He gets baptized. He starts talking. And all of a sudden, people are trying to kill him, and he's in a basket of trash. Welcome to the Christian life. Right? Paul is chosen, but there's a lot of preparation that has to be done by God. And there's a lot of preparation that God's doing that isn't mentioned in this passage. Now, now I, I want you to see this. After many days have gone by, after many days, what's not here is the space between in verses 22 and 23. After many days. Verse 22 says he became powerful and, and was proving to people in Damascus that Jesus is the Christ after many days had gone by. Saul, verse 22, Saul grew powerful. He's wise. He baffled those and proved Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 23, after many days. We're not told how many days, just many days. It's the space between, verses 22 and 23. We're not told what happened during many days. We're just told many days. It's the space between. We're not told anything about the many days. It's just many days. It's the space between, verses 22 and 23. It's the space between. That's important. Romans 8, 28 is a verse about the space between. My God works all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. It's the space between, working those things together for good. It's Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary in doing good, but in due season you'll reap a good. Don't grow weary in the space between doing good. If we're not careful, we think erroneously that it flows like this. Jesus, Saul realizes who Jesus is, starts talking about him, begins to lead, starts planting churches. He's, he travels with authority because he's chosen by God. That's how we read it. But we have to be very careful. We assume that God chooses and then he blesses. Bad theology, because it leaves out the space between. If we're not careful, we contribute to the wrong idea and the wrong thinking of spiritual instant gratification, that God has chosen me, so I choose him, and then he blesses me for choosing him. That's bad theology, because it leaves out the space between. Many days between verses 22 and 23, do you know how many days? Three years. There's a three-year space between verse 22 and 23. Paul was in a three-year period of the space between. How do we know it was three years? Because we know the Bible. Luke doesn't tell us here. Paul tells us himself in Galatians 1. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to, into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stay with him 15 days. Paul encounters Jesus. He believes and is baptized, and he goes three more years before he meets any of the apostles. It's during the three-year space between that he talked to a lot of people about Jesus. It's during that three-year space between that he was alone in contemplation with the Holy Spirit. It was during that three-year space between that he spent a lot of time learning about Jesus from Jesus. Notice, Jesus spent three years with his disciples. Now he spends three years with Paul. 
It's the space between during those three years where he's in virtual obscurity in the space between. It's three years in the space between before he ever gets to meet the pastor of the church. And finally, he spends a few days with the apostles. And then there comes another space between in Paul's life. Do you know how long that space between lasted? 14 years. How do we know that? Because we know the Bible. Galatians 2.1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. What happened during those 14 years? We don't know a lot of that. You know why we don't know a lot of what happened during those 14 years space between? I'll tell you why. Because no one pays attention to you when you're in the space between. No one pays attention to you when you're in the space between. No one notices you're gone. No one notices you're hurting. No one notices you haven't been around. No one notices you don't get invited. No one notices they're not talking about you anymore. No one notices when you're in the space between. You know, but everybody else has their life. Everybody else has their concerns. Everybody else has their agendas. Everybody else has their schedules. But you know, you're in the space between. And nobody calls and nobody texts and nobody checks up. Nobody says, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Haven't seen you around in a while. Haven't, what's, nobody knows. You're just stuck in the space between. Paul gives us some hints as to what happened during that 14-year space between. And if we put all the spaces between together, we don't have three years, and we don't have 14 years. We have how many years? 17 years in the space between. We know that Paul was persecuted a lot during that time. How do we know that? Because we know the Bible. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Here's what we know. The latter half of Paul's public ministry is the second half of the book of Acts. We haven't even got to it yet. During that time, the beatings that he will go through are at the hands of the Gentiles, not the Jews. Much of what we read in 2 Corinthians 11 happens at the hands of the Jews. So we know, and we can draw some conclusions, that a lot of the beatings in Paul's life and hardship in Paul's life happened during the in-between, the space between. When nobody knew what he was going through, and nobody cared, when nobody checked up on him, because he was in the space between. Suffering is hard enough, isn't it? But especially difficult when you suffer in obscurity, when you suffer in the shadows, because you're in the space between. I want you to know something, that when God gives us the space between, it's not empty space. The space between is really preparation space, because he's preparing you. If you're in the space between, take heart. He's chosen you, and he's preparing you 
Don't rush through it. Don't be afraid of it. And don't neglect His preparation of you in it. There are so many people who are so fearful of the space between that they rush from one relationship to another because they're so fearful of the space between of their own aloneness. Some people are so fearful of the space between that they run from one activity to another because they're so fearful of stillness. Some are so fearful of the space between that they run from one distraction to another because they're so fearful of the stillness of their own soul. Don't miss the deep soul work that God desires to do in you during the space between. It's okay to be alone. It's okay to be still. It's okay to be in the dark. It's okay not to have a plan. It's okay not to have an agenda. It's okay if you're in the space between. Because God's preparing you because He's chosen you. See, when God wants to make an oak tree, He takes 60 years. When God wants to make a mushroom, He takes 24 hours. And most people settle for the mushroom work of God because they're fearful of the space retreat between required for an oak tree. Ask yourself, Have I settled for the mushroom work because I've neglected the space between? After Acts 9.31, Paul drops off the radar until Acts 13, when God finally, after all these years, has finished his preparation work during the space between. He's finally, after 17 years, we don't know all the details, but we know some of what God was doing during those 17 years, during the space between his call and acceptance of Christ until he got his first official ministry responsibility in Acts 13. This kind of space between, this delayed preparation by God is not the exception in Scripture. It is the norm of Scripture. Our problem is we don't know Scripture. So when we go through the space between, we think we are the exception as if I'm chosen by God, I get His blessing from God. Why is there a delay? The Bible's filled with examples of God's chosen people who were thrust into the spaces between. Abraham and Sarah had a 25-year space between the promise of a child and the birth of Isaac. Moses had a 40-year space between as a sheep herder in the desert, working for his father-in-law before he became the leader of the nation of Israel and led him out of captivity in Egypt. David had a decade space between in his preparation between being the anointed king of Israel till taking the throne. Joseph had a two-decade space between before deliverance from a slave and prison into the leader of Egypt. Caleb and Joshua had a 40-year space between walking around the desert before they led the people of God into the promised land. Jesus himself had a 30-year space between. 
hearing the call of his heavenly father to come down to earth to be the savior of humanity, 30 years space between, till his first work of public ministry. There's biblical precedent for God making his chosen people trust him and be faithful during the space betweens in life. Realize, please, my friend, if Abraham and Sarah had a 25-year space between, if Moses had a 40-year space between, if David had a decade-long space between, if Joseph had a two-decade-long space between, if Caleb and Joshua had a 40-year space between, are you really going to complain about yours? The space between is important in the lives of God's people. See, sometimes we act like impatient children. Impatient children don't know how to wait. Can I just tell you, any of us who are older than Google know how to wait? The problem is even those of us who are older than Google act like spiritual newbies when it comes to waiting on God. In this fast-paced world of instant gratification, we have the idea that to wait on God is just odd and something must be wrong. Especially when we're asked to wait in the space between, and that space between is difficult and lonely and dark and seemingly unsafe. See, it's our faith in God that's tested during the space betweens of life. The space between is meant to foster our dependence upon Him and deepen our trust in Him. That we begin in the space, it's in the space between that we begin to understand that God is the orchestrator because God is sovereign and He'll open right doors at the right time so that He can accomplish His will and perfect His unstoppable kingdom through people who wait patiently and trust patiently in the space between. God's people has always been a waiting people. And I suggest to, to you this morning that if we're going to be an unstoppable Jesus follower, we must first become an unwavering God-waiter in the space between. If you're in the space between, don't miss the possibility of what God might be doing. I don't know what your space between is. Your space between may be singleness. Don't rush through it. Your space between may be joblessness. Just be patient. Your space between may be illness. Your space between may be loneliness. Your space between... It's in that space between that you don't rush through that you don't push through. It's in that space between that God's developing His character in you. 
It's in that space between that you develop trust. It's in that space between that you develop faith. It's in that space between that you develop a deep reliance and trust in the sovereignty of God and the beauty of His sovereignty. When you rush through your space between, you rush through God. When you rush past your space between, you rush past God. If you push through your space between, you push past God. Don't do that. Don't waste your space between. Paul was chosen that he had to be prepared. Paul was chosen, yet he had to suffer. Paul was chosen, yet he had a long space between. God builds his unstoppable kingdom through the disciples he chooses. And those he chooses must be prepared. Those he chooses will suffer. Those he chooses will experience the space between. Do you want to be his disciple? I don't know what your space between is. But if you've not had one, you will. And it will seem like it's far too long. And it will appear as if God has walked out. And it will feel as though He doesn't care that much. Don't be afraid of your space between. Don't rush through it. Don't try to get out of it. You have a space between because He has chosen you. And he is developing his character in you. Don't settle for a mushroom work when God wants an oak tree. It will come in the space between. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've chosen us. Help us to choose you. God, with honesty and transparency, I ask your forgiveness for the times when I've wanted just to rush past and rush through the space between in my life. God, you know I am anything other than patient. And I'm sorry. Thank you for taking time with me. I pray that you'd help me be patient and trusting in the space between. And Father, I feel like there's plenty of us here who are of a similar bent. 
certainly there's many here that you've chosen. But there's many here who chose who, who want to just get past the space between. And God, we do it because we're just we don't know scripture real well at all to know that this is kind of your norm. We don't know your heart very well to be able to trust your sovereignty in the middle of it. We get really anxious and really upset and really angry and really fearful, honestly, and it causes us to to react in really, really unflattering ways and ways that do not represent your heart or your kingdom. So forgive us. Hear the hearts of your people right now. In this moment, if, if there's if you know that you have not understood nor trusted Him in the space between, confess it. It's between you and God. God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that I've neglected the space between. I'm sorry I've been so fearful, so full of anxiety. Thinking that if I could just control it, it would be so much better. And ultimately, it's because I just don't trust what you're doing. I just confess it and I'm sorry. Tell them, say, Father, I'm, I'm telling you today, I'm going to do everything I can to sit in confident assurance of your work in my space between. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely on you. And I'm going to pray rather than worry. And I'm going to trust rather than be fearful. And I'm going to be at peace rather than discouraged. So do what you want to do in the space between. Father, I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to trust you in the space between. You said to offer you a sacrifice of praise, and sometimes it is a sacrifice to praise you in the space between. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel normal. But in the space between, your people choose to praise you. Thank you that one day we'll see the reality of Romans 8.28 that truly you have worked all things together for the good of those who love you, for your glory and our blessing. We'll see the results of the space between. Thank you for the promise of Galatians 6.9 that in due season we will reap a good harvest if we don't give up during the space between. Thank you for the promise of your word and that you love us. We trust you. 